Welcome to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Bird. I'm here with my co-host. Rachel Weaver, we are so excited to be back with you guys this week. And obviously, we're in a new place and a new setting, which is yeah. exciting. Huge shout out to John Delenn for allowing us to use his studio. We're uh, we're loving the setup and uh, we're looking forward to, to being able to do a little bit more. And we have a super exciting guest on the show today, an yes. intersectional icon here in Utah. <laughs> Stacy, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Hey, my name is Stacy Harkey. I'm excited to be here. I've been a fan of the Black Menaces for a while. So, yeah, I'm stoked. Good stuff. Yeah. So, we reached out to Stacy to be on the podcast and we're looking forward to talking with him. But before we do, you know what it is? We got the Menace Moment. Rachel, take yes. it away. Yes. Okay. So, I already forgot how to say the name. It's very much okay. But um, you can jump in if you remember. But this week, I wanted to highlight someone in the AANPI community. Uh, because it's that month, their Heritage Month, before we ended. And so the person that I'm highlighting is Mabel Ping. Wa. Yes, it's H, and I knew it wasn't pronounced as an H, so thank you, Wa Li. Um, and she is a Chinese and American women's rights activist. And so a little bit about her. She was born in China in 1896 and came to the U.S. at the age of nine um, on a scholarship they granted her a visa to attend school in the U.S. Um, and then her father, who was a missionary, ended up uh, moved to the United States five years before that. And he was um, a Baptist minister of Morningside Mission in Chinatown in New York. And then at 16, she was accepted to Barnard College, um, which is kind of a big deal considering she was an immigrant. Yeah. Um, but some cool things about her activism, it started in 1912. She um, joined a suffrage meeting held in Chinatown with other members of the community. And that is where she met like other white suffrage leaders. And through just her activism and what she was doing, the suffrage leaders, the white women, um, were inspired by her and they wanted her to be a part of planning the parade that they had in New York City and so during that time, she started working with, you know, these white women's suffrage leaders, which eventually, you know, most of the time she was focused on issues surrounding white women and educating on how um, issues in the Chinese community overlapped. But this is um, also when she wanted to kind of take up working on getting people registered who are Chinese to vote, um, because that's what they were working on, to getting women the right to vote. Um, and so in... 1917, New York granted women the right to vote. Um, and then two years later, Congress passed the 19th Amendment, amendment which uh, made it a federal uh, legislation. But um, due to the Naturalization Act of 1790, um, it said that only people who were of white descent were eligible for naturalization. Mm -hmm. And so her and people who were non-white immigrants were not able to be seen as citizens and were not able to vote. But in spite of this, she still worked towards helping um, towards making this uh, change. And in 1912, she became the first Chinese woman to earn a doctorate degree in, in economics from Columbia. And then she helped when Congress eventually passed the Immigration Act of 1924, which, oh, no, in 1924, Congress passed um, this ban on immigration from Asia, which put on a lot of restrictions and all these things. And um, then World War II happened and a lot of issues with the immigration from that happened as well. And then mm. um, 
eventually towards the end of her career, she was able to work towards helping just more women to be able to vote. And then in 1966, that's when she passed away. And then um, in on December 3rd, 2018, Chinatown named a post office after her um, because of all the work that she did helping with not just women's rights, but specifically with Chinese American um, rights and specifically in New York. She was a big help. And so I just want to highlight her because I didn't never knew who she was, nor um, I feel like, oh, we don't really view the AA. NPI community as people who are activists, just because I feel like just because of a lot of stereotypes and model minority myths, the, um, that's something that they historically haven't leaned into, but their community has always fought for rights. Um, and I think we should share their stories more. So that, that's how I want to share today. And I hope that we hear more stories as this month becomes a bigger celebration. We just did something at my job today about it. And um, it's just something that I want to personally learn more about. And I hope that we as a society continue to support the activism from this community because they've been doing work for a long time. Mm. We love that. Also, yes. love that she has a post office, but we need like a statue. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a post office? And I was like, okay, we can do better for people. Well, I mean, because if you think, if we think about it, like in New York specifically, um, they're, they have more Asian people in New York than like any other city in the United States. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of poverty as well, even today that still exists among the Asian um, communities there. And um, also something I learned at work today was that the Asian community has like the highest wealth uh, disparity within really? it because of so much like just hyper-selectivity with immigration, Mm -hmm. but also like still dealing with the very real issues that come when you are an immigrant. And so that's why um, a lot of the stereotypes associated with the community are so harmful because it doesn't acknowledge in the ways in which poverty still affects their community. Mm. Wow, interesting. Y'all got me learning already. Yeah. Hyper, you said hyper-selectivity. Is that like when people apply to come over, it's like only taking people that fall into certain categories. And so we get like... I mean, something that I learned in my undergraduate degree was just that, you know only a certain percent, less than 10% of people in China, for example, have a bachelor's degree, but over 55% of um, people who immigrate from China have a bachelor's degree, oh. right? Like looking at those numbers, mm-hmm. that's a very specific group of people that are coming. It doesn't, yeah, yeah, it doesn't reflect the whole group. And also mm. that's a very s- small set of people who obviously college educated people in general are going to have their children live a different life than people who are not college educated, white, black, Asian, whatever the race yeah. or ethnicity. And so mm-hmm. because they're hyperly selected from Asia when they come here, that's part of why some of those stereotypes exist mm. in the community because it's like, yeah, their parents had doctorate degrees. It makes sense that their children are extremely educated. Same way if you meet black people whose parents were doctors, it's going to be the same thing. Interesting. Yeah. Right, that's that very down. true. That's super interesting. And yeah, like the whole thing, like with immigration, I just think about that. Even like the, the way that it's named, like naturalization, becoming a natural citizen yes. of the United States is crazy because it's like you think about it, like they made that rule where only um, only white people were eligible to become citizens of the United States. Which and, is strange. Yeah, it's very Because it included like, European countries. Yeah. It was yeah. Like, in European countries, they could, people who immigrated from Europe were able to become citizens. Are you talking about recently or like back in the day? No, this is back um, Okay, in the for day. a second. I was, no, like, no, 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 I was no. like, wait a minute. No, no, that changed. But like, that was the law. Like, it was literally <laughs> what they decided, which was, Ew. example, when I took Dr. Rue, I was his TA in his sociology mm. of race class. We talked about this, was Ooh. that's when they changed what whiteness meant. Yeah. Was whiteness yeah. meant, they didn't define it. 
up until immigrate people from Asia started to immigrate because mm-hmm. they are not Hispanic, they are not mm-hmm. black, they are I, I, you know they're like wait technically they their their skin is white technically right air quote if that's what we're going mm-hmm. by based off of mm-hmm. what they're defining mm-hmm. and then they realized oh this is not actually what we want and so it included like Arab Americans as well like people who yeah. are immigrating from the Middle East they also were excluded from becoming citizens because mm-hmm. they were trying to find a way to make it so that only Irish you know those not again, even Irish at first at yeah. first but yeah, over but when this Italians, when this specific Jews. law was created Irish people had already been adopted into what whiteness gotcha. was mm. Mm. and even now like to this day you can still like if you google the definition of white it includes people from northern africa so like it doesn't matter like even the color as but it's like the way that they did it geographically oh so it's like, yes because northern africa was colonized so heavily like if you're from there you could be my color your color, Rachel, Stacy, your color, and you still be like you still check the white box technically on yes on oh, the census. I hate the that. <laughs> yes, we could do a whole episode on that, on like race and all of that with Dr. Ruth. That would be so fun, actually. Because actually would be interesting. well, because something that's interesting is like Hispanic people, they can check the box white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they don't have a race. It's like in the same sense of, yeah, it's like people get that that will really like rock people sometimes and they're like my race is Hispanic it's like oh it doesn't work like that it's mm-hmm. like uh there's like nationality and then there's yes. like what is it like ethnicity, ethnicity and like yeah. culture like all well, those yeah, divisions race is the race is based upon like someone can't you don't pick your race other people prescribe what your race kind of is and what you look like and what people perceive you as mm. because it's based off of it's like it's involuntary like you can't just opt in to being like I am racially black you can't do that or racially you know what i mean like People you can't try. do that but ethnicity say. ethnicity is when Rachel Dozel. i'm just kidding bro, no comment <laughs> but ethnicity is you know more you have to opt in and choose like oh like someone at my job she is racially asian but she is ethnically mexican she right. grew up in mexico her entire life mm-hmm. speaks spanish fluently when you look at her she is an asian woman right but she is very much relates ethnically to other mexican people mm-hmm. and so that's an example of like you get to you get to choose that and someone can't take your ethnicity away which is why his people who are hispanic and latino they don't have a race because mm. there is no race like they are racially white mm-hmm. like that is what they like that is what the category that, they fall under step into like white passing and stuff when people talk about mm-hmm. i'm black but it's like if you're perceived as white, 100%. then the privileges you experience are a little different. Right. You know what I'm saying? Very, very different. Interesting. Yes. Oh, well, that was that. great. We'll do another episode about that. We'll ask <laughs> Dr. Ruth to come back. He came back one time and we can have him do a whole lesson on that just because oh, yeah. I feel like this is a lesson a lot of people need because so many people are ignorant to actually understanding what the different things mean mm-hmm. and how you yourself and other people around you fit into those categories. And I'm still learning, like, right? So it's like, I'm like, oh, yeah, tell me, define this. So it's like, it's everyone could learn a little bit more. Yes. It's helpful. I like it. Okay. Cool. Well, let's get into the interview portion. <laughs> yeah. um, but before stalling. we ask you any questions, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more, Stacey? Like, tell, tell the listeners where you're from and... Tell them what brought you to Utah as well. That's what, I, that, that, that's what we'll start with. What brought you to Utah? I'm because from, that's how we met you. So. Right. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And what brought me to Utah was school. I came to Utah to go to BYU. 
I grew up um, LDS, or some people I know it is Mormon. Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you said oh, it like that either. Like, I was like, okay. I was playing these, like country people, like the Mormons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can, like came out. I had um, a friend in high school who used to be like, you are, you a Mormon. Yeah. Like, yeah. You would just mess with me like that. No, Wait, where are you, you from? Mormon, ain't you? I'm from Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like Mormons. Yeah, Mormon. Like, why'd you put like a, like a in there? Anyways, that's what I said in Brazil. I served an LDS mission in Brazil. Uh, but I came, went, came to BYU. Um ended up working for BYU TV. Oh, yeah. Did a show oh, with know. BYU TV. So yeah. Just a small say, stint. Oh, I know. Oh, just yeah. a small stint. You know, a little did a, bit. Did a show called <laughs> Studio C. Yes. <laughs> which no one's heard of if you haven't been in Utah. I mean, some people have, but mm-hmm. um, it garnered a little bit of attention. Like, we had a chance to perform on NBC's Bring the Funny, which was like a comedy competition show, which only did like one season, I think. <laughs> uh, but we also did, uh, we had a chance to be on Conan. We got to perform with Keenan from SNL, which was really cool. Oh, that was cool. So we mm-hmm. had like a little bit of like, we had, we had, a, we had a good fun run. And then we started our own company called JK Studios and we have a movie coming out soon. And yeah, we're just like, still doing stuff like so right? is that like the whole original cast Y'all have a company yeah together? so the all original cast from studio c we started our own company just because we were limited to what we could do at byu tv mm-hmm. we had a good time with studio c but um we wanted to make more movies tv shows yeah. like we wanted to try our hand at more and so we left cushy jobs and started our own company so yeah scary now we're in the struggle again right (laughs) it's temporary though it's temporary (laughs) fingers crossed it's temporary (laughs) 10 years later we'll be like it's temporary (laughs) man so so what are y'all doing with that company right now i know you said you have the movie coming out do you want to talk about that yeah we have a movie called go west coming out it's like i describe it like monty python of the oregon trail so we started doing sketch and okay. so we're going to do a, a movie that has like a bunch of these fun moments we're going to release it around pioneer day in oh. Utah. Yeah, yeah so it's like a little love letter to like our community and like the people like utah these roots but also like american roots of like pioneers like who didn't play the oregon trail growing up right oh yeah you know mm-hmm. what i mean like you could be from any part of america i should have died of dysentery a long time ago i know for real right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oof doesn't get you mm-hmm. but yeah that's kind of what we're up to now we've we're doing other little things but that's our big project right now so fingers crossed go see our movie at the end of july yeah for yeah. sure in theaters I'll, I'll oh check yes it out wherever it's gonna be i'll, I'll be there that we'll make like it a black minute trip that's what we'll do i have to do like a premiere party we're still deciding what we're gonna do oh yes yeah, that'd be a good time for mm-hmm. sure uh, also, bear with me. I'm I'm operating these cameras manually. I've yes, this <laughs> guys, this it's is a whole um... lot of chaotic camera switching going on. Just, yes, bear if you're with listening, us today. Don't worry about it. Just forget I said that. But if you're watching, then I'm, you I might keep it interesting. I like the idea of Rachel being like, like not saying anything, and the camera keeps going to her. Like, it's yes, okay. I'm like, I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Dude, you're picking my nose. Mind your business. <laughs> We got bigger fish to fry if you're like in the middle of this interview with me and you're just like digging for gold. Um well Stacey, I want to first ask about when you came to BYU, uh, what was your experience like? Um, considering like looking back, like mm-hmm. where you are now, like do you see things differently? Or how was it actually when you were in it? How did you feel? Um, just because I know you can have different feelings in that way. Like it was great at the time, oh, yeah. and now looking back at like, wait, or was it like not the best at the time and now it's you're looking back and like it's worse than i thought or it was better than you thought like what do you what do you think definitely like loved 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 my time at byu i grew up really shy in texas dallas texas and that was the first time i started like coming out of my shell a bit Mm. so i was like making friends and stuff and like i grew up lds too so i was like 
I was like, oh, like all these people that have like similar styles. But mm. I really do compare Utah. I talk about Utah like it's like, um, what do they call those programs where they would like back in the day, they would take like Native American people from their families and like assimilate them. Mm. Like, I can't I remember what they call those. About. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I forget, forget the name, but I do know what you're talking that's about. That's honestly what I look back on for BYU. I'm like, oh man, that was like assimilation for me. It was like me learning how the group in power in the world, like white people, how they interact, how they work, how they communicate, mm. and how they do all this stuff. And I thought it was fascinating. And it was tough in a lot of ways. A lot mm. of people would be like, like, <laughs> now, I mean, now that we started our own company, we've had this shift, but a lot of my friends would be like, you're so blunt. And now everyone's like, okay, I see that. That's very important. It's just like the honesty aspect that I love, but oh, they it comes not, off as like, you know what I'm talking say, about? People mm -hmm. used to say it you're to so me. You're so intense. No, they say... I remember I was a Relief Society teacher in my freshman year, and they'd say, Rachel, you're so real. You're just, you just are so real. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Like, like, sister girl. Yeah, they're like, you just say how it is. I'm like, yeah, because all of you are just giving fluff all the time. You don't have time for fluff. Yes, but. Also, I want drama. Yeah. Give me, I want right. real life. Yes. I just talk about, wait, what were you saying? I was like, I, I want to be as messy as possible. Yeah. I want all the drama. Yeah, I want. When I was teaching like different like Sunday school lessons, I wanted to ask the most dramatic question because I was like, I want conversation. Yes, mm -hmm. me too. Uh, that was me too. I was the one who would read like racist quotes from Brigham Young in class yeah. and then be like, let's have a discussion. Let's sit with it. And just just go from there. Mm -hmm. I taught a class once uh, back in the days when I was teaching elders quorum. I was just a church group for men. I don't know how many people who was watching. But um, and basically I was like, hey, we talked about families we were all like single and i was like i mean we should probably face the facts that some of us won't get married and people were like <gasps> they were like scandalized and i was like i am sorry if that makes you nervous but that's just a reality we might have to face so true if your value is placed on your worth as a partner that may not be sustainable yep. or healthy you know what i mean mm -hmm. but anyways good times i did have though going back to byu um it was a very stark like I had very like stark experiences when it came to race. Like I remember my first week on campus being new, like this poor kid from Dallas in the white world of Utah mm -hmm. <laughs> and people would walk up to me friendly. Right. Yeah. And they'd be like, yo, what's up, my dog? And I'd be like, hi, nice to meet you. And they'd so be like, that, you know what I'm talking about? Hi, nice to meet you. I'd be like, hi. <laughs> um, and they'd be like, the, and the, you could see it on their face where they'd be like, sorry, that's the extent of my black vocabulary. I got nothing else. Mm. And they would like, conversations would go nowhere. Mm. Uh, people wouldn't know how to relate, even though I'm like, there's a million things we can relate about. Like, yeah. do you eat food? Let's talk about food. But it was just people, I could tell they hadn't been around a person of color, a black person. And so they were like, they just didn't know how to relate. So a lot mm. of my time at BYU was, whew. yeah, I look back and I'm like, there were a lot of tough experiences. I'm pretty like, I'm a pretty like make lemonade from lemons kind of guy, but like I, we can objectively look back and be like, there were some intense things that probably shouldn't have happened, whether it was working for BYU TV or just being a student or just living in Utah. So mm -hmm. yeah, the yeah. whole range. I think as time goes on, I get better at looking back with a more, not even like a patient perspective. Sometimes I am like, okay, this person has no no idea that they're coming off this way, but also a more like justified perspective too, to be like, no, that was wrong. That mm. was wrong. There's no like questions about it. I don't know if, if ands or buts, no, but let's consider that. No, it was wrong. You yeah. know what I mean? So I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. That's really vague. I can definitely relate to that. I feel like I, well, I've said this before, 
But I feel like my experience in Utah has been kind of like being surrounded by a bunch of like Michael Scotts, like from the yes! office, where everybody is just, they have no, like they have no self-awareness um, when it comes to how they act around other people, mm -hmm. right? So they'll say and do things with good intentions, but just being like woefully ignorant and completely unaware. And so I, I love The Office. That's one of my like favorite shows. Um, <laughs> we love a Michael Scott oh, on yeah. TV. <laughs> but I feel like that's my experience living in Utah a lot of the times, especially at BYU, because so many people, like you said, had never had a meaningful interaction with a person of color, mm -hmm. uh, let alone a black person. Right. What's and so for them to be able to like come up to you and try to talk to you, they, like you said, they, they don't know how to connect if you don't know anything. I remember they would ask me like, oh, have you heard of such and such rapper? And I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, oh, what do I talk to you about? And it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. You're eating the same lunch as me. Like we have the same class. I don't know. We, we were roommates, but you don't have anything to talk with me about. So yeah, I definitely get that. It's, it's tough out here. I remember that once someone was like, it was when DJ Khaled had just like, he was just starting to get big. Yeah, mm. DJ And someone was like, someone was like, do you know this guy? And I was like, DJ Khalid? <laughs> <laughs> Expose myself. So oh, yeah. They were me. like, no, you don't. You don't know him. But yeah, it's like people constantly, I hate that when they're like, almost like testing your blackness where it's mm. like, oh, yeah. this is a question. And if you answer the wrong way, this is going to determine how black you are to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think we actually do it in our own community too. But um, you're right. This yeah. Is true. But listen, we're not talking about that right now. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk, that's, a, that's a family discussion. Yes, that is a, don't, yeah, that's an in-house no. yes, conversation. A, <laughs> uh, but yeah, people all the time. And I work really hard not to, like, to be my authentic self. Like, like from the way I speak to how my style, like, my style and everything. It's just like, I'm authentically me, and I think you should be authentically you. And it is so frustrating when people are like, but, like, where's your, like, where's your grill? where's your like oh, no. ebonics or something and i'm like <laughs> i'm like Man. i'm like okay well this is good because black people come in all you know different like geographic locations styles shapes of life you know like as mm -hmm. we call them all we're not all just like athletic and you know the hood wonder kid story which we love a good we could love a good home wonder kid story but that's just like black people are just as diverse mm -hmm. as white people right in yeah. the range of what we represent very mm -hmm. true especially in utah i would say there's a lot more diversity amongst people of color in utah than there is amongst the general population because you know a lot of people they have the same exact life like they grew up in a similar area they might have grown up more affluent oh, they gotcha. might have grown up more in the suburbs mm -hmm. um but most people like they grew up lds they grew up surrounded by white people and so their experiences have been very very similar and then you get to a place where you start to interact with more people of color and then that gets challenged and it creates an interesting dynamic. And BYU was like trying to figure out how to deal with that, with like people having their their mindsets challenged in a way that they've never had it before. Like if you're from Utah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So you mean like like white people in Utah or like black people in Utah? Um, so I'm saying that like I, I would say that the black people that you meet in Utah are more likely to have like a more diverse experience or background than the average white person oh, that you would meet yeah, in Utah. Yeah. And that's starting to change, you know, like the it's becoming more diversified, but I think in general, um, there's a pretty homogenous base in Utah. That's yeah. you know, they're starting to to change a little bit and to, you know, the social media and like, you know, things like that have kind of differentiated that a little bit. But you go back to, you know, maybe six, seven, eight years ago, and things are, are a lot different now <laughs> oh, than they yeah. were then. That's really, I've never thought about that. That's really insightful. I mm -hmm. want to like think on that a little bit more. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, good thought.
So yeah. you mentioned something about uh, getting to be your authentic self or working hard to yeah. be your authentic self. So, um, you know, for, since coming to Utah and then, you know, being here, I remember when you had posted on Facebook and you came out on Facebook. Um, Did you just I guess, out me on the pot? I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, hey. I was like, I could have sworn. No, no. But um, yeah, so like when you came out on Facebook and then moving forward after that, and there's kind of been like a, you know, a bit of a transformation mm -hmm. and a glow up, if you will. Right. Oh, definitely. Oh, up. man. Yeah. I was just telling somebody I, was, I saw a video of me back in the day, back in my closeted days. And I look like a, I look like, like a Ninja <laughs> Turtle. Stop. Not even like a Ninja Turtle. I was like, I just look like a turtle that they made the accountant because like, I look crazy, man. I look crazy. Not the accountant Listen. turtle. Yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't Ninja enough to fight with the other turtles. Oh man. <laughs> but That's yeah, there cool. was like, I, yeah, so I came out in 2018. I'd come to Utah in 2006. It was my freshman year of college. I did. The LDS mission, came back, finished my bachelor's. I loved everything. I loved, I served in Brazil, mm -hmm. loved it. It was good stuff. Enjoyed my time in my undergrad, had some snafus, but like, you know, like life overall was really good. Right. Uh, and then like, I was hit this, I hit this wall because growing up LDS, right? You're like, you go on the mission and you marry somebody and then you make babies, you multiply and they, replenish. They give you the formula. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, I'm missing a key integral part of this formula. Like, like the equal sign is equalizing. Um, and I tried, I like dated women. I almost got engaged a couple times. Mm. Thank goodness I didn't because mm. I am gay as hell. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I um, eventually hit like, mm. like a rock bottom kind of place where I was just like, if I don't do something, I, I can't keep living this way. Like, I felt like I was going to implode. And so I came out in 2018. I came out publicly. Super scary. Uh, but you know what? It was like, it was so good. So good. I always think of that scripture um, in the Bible. I can't remember where it is, but someone might know this. Put it in the comments. It says, like, by their fruits, you shall know them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think they're talking about, like, prophets you know like you know if it's a good or bad oh, prophet yes. because you know you, it's like compared to a tree you try the fruit if it's good fruit it's good but i think about that in life all the time where i'm like is it something good or bad i don't know like try it out what's your experience with it and i was so afraid coming out was going to be this like like potentially like i was going to be walking into this dangerous part of my life and walking away from the light and you know i don't know uh but it has been one of the best decisions i've ever made in my life mm -hmm. for me for my relationships with my loved ones for the people around me i'm just like these are some good fruits y'all this is a good tree yeah you know what yeah. i'm saying for yeah. sure and i think that's what's important is is it's the journey is different for everybody right yes so for some people you know for some people being in the church works for some people being oh. closeted works for some people being this or that it works for them for however long that may not always be the case yeah but for some people where they are right now works and for other people it doesn't work like, when I, it doesn't work you make that transition it, right? like for real like i love the idea of like just empower people to do what works for them mm -hmm. the second you start prescribing people what they need to do to be happy is the second I raise the red flag where I'm like, oh, slow your roll, slow yes. your roll. Mm -hmm. The second, and I think what we experience a lot, and I'm sorry if I'm going off book or whatever, but especially in a state that is incredibly like Mormon, incredibly religious, was like founded on Mormon principles, mm -hmm. um, is I feel like people, because when I came out, people came for me, right? Really? Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, but like I was telling y'all this earlier. I was like, I I'm already like I was already black in Utah. Right. I mean, it was like being black in Texas. Like, you think you're gonna say something to me about something I can't control and I'm it's my first rodeo? No, get in line. Like, okay, you have a concern with me? Like, take a note number, uh, send it to this email address. I'll never check it. Like, good luck, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, essentially, it's just like the concept. I totally lost my train of thought. I was going on that email thing. <laughs> you, were, you were saying um, that like people came for you. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. People people were like coming for me. But essentially, like they were just like so – I didn't know these people. They were so hostile about like – they would come and be like, how dare you? You're disgusting. Never met this person in my life, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. But it was clear to me because I was like, you don't even know me. Mm-hmm. So like why are you so – angry or why are you so passionate about this and it was easy for me to be like this is not this is not my problem this is a personal Mm. thing yeah you are i think and what my theory a lot is that people are um defending paradigms so they're defending like a a thought process or way of life like if i have to accept that you can be happy and gay that means that my belief system about families might be wrong and that means that the religion I belong to that teaches that might be wrong. And the family that I've sacrificed so much for might like it. I think they're like protecting these series of dominoes from like falling over. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays we meet, we find a lot of people who are like, are able to like navigate that in a more nuanced way. Right. They're like, Oh, you know, like I believe this, but this doesn't really work for me and like power to them. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think a lot of times when people come out hot swinging, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, this isn't about me. Yeah. This is about your you're fighting something else. Yeah. I once think, again. Yeah. yeah. I think when people have that much hate, they are like what they're doing isn't working for them. Right. So it's like you said, they, they have to like, you know, they're, they're trying to connect all these dots in their head. So it's like, this That's is working part. for me and you're upset about it. That means what you're doing is not working for you. And you just haven't admitted that to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's yes. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm and, not mad. And also I feel like a lot of people, more people than we think, especially in these communities want like they're afraid of accepting what it would mean. Kind of what you were saying, Stacey, about if it's not true, they're afraid of what that would mean. Yeah. And they're like part of them wants to know, though. And I say this because I've gotten into discussions about people dealing with black people in the church or whatever it may be. And when you start calling people out and they just refuse to see what you're saying, it's like because you, you're you scared to see what I'm seeing. Yeah. Because I was scared at a point. I don't know if you related to this at all, Stacey, 100%. but feeling like things that don't align with like the formula we were talking about. Yeah. Like we were given that formula. We wanted to follow it. And if you didn't, it's, it's scary to step away and be like, this isn't going to work for me and fall into the authentic self. And I think other people have different ways that they want to be more authentic to themselves. One time I got into argument with somebody about coffee. Anyway, I'm, that's something really small. But like you're getting mad about coffee because other people have a way around that, like other ethnicities and whatever, mm-hmm. like because you low key want to do that, like you want to mm-hmm. be able to do that. Like, why does and it bother you so much? Why does it bother yeah. you that other people have a way to experience that same sensation or whatever? Like you're mad about that, um, and so I just I do think not that, get mad when people. But does are, that like, make sense? Crack. What I'm saying, like, like I think <laughs> other people, they, they're almost mad when you're living your true self yeah. and doing what you want mm-hmm. because they secretly want it, like. Yeah. There's probably like a lot of reasons too. Like I think there's like I and like call me like optimistic, but I, I feel like I rarely encountered people that are hateful. They're just scared. They're mm. all scared or insecure. Mm. And once again, I'm like, and maybe this is like a way I just deal with people, and maybe it's not the best, and there's gonna be some psychiatrist watching this being like, ooh, that's problematic. But 
I'm like, so many times when people have issues, I'm like, it's a personal problem. I'm like, this isn't about me. And I think that that's helpful for me to like, yeah. not take mm. it personal. Cause I'm like, oh, this isn't about me. You're way too mad about something that like, like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, sorry, if it makes you so mad, I'm gay. Like, d d you know, d just stop following me on Instagram. I don't know. Like, yeah. Don't read my posts. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, good luck. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Be straight. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so since like coming out and just like kind of forging like a new path and being more authentic, how, what has your experience been like in Utah since then? Like, what has it been like kind of diving into the, like the, LGBTQ plus community here in Utah or like figuring out support systems in that space and just what has that been like? Cause I feel like that's navigating a whole new life as well for my friends that I've heard when they come out and like are a part of communities more publicly. What is, how, what has that been like for you? Man, I've just been having a good time with everything. I was really intimidated when I first came out cause I was like, and then later I was like, I think I'm going to start dating. And I was like, what if I like go on a dating profile and people are going to be like, actually, you should probably go back in the closet. Like I was like nervous mm. about that. <laughs> um, and no one said that, thank goodness, because that would be really weird. But um, it's just been like a pretty cool experience. And I feel like you will always meet haters in every like facet of life. Once again, that's a personal problem. Mm. Not, they're jealous, insecure, scared, whatever. That's between them and their therapist. I don't know. Uh, but I feel like I never want to waste my time trying to win the approval of just trying to win the approval of anyone. Like if they don't like what I got going on, they could go elsewhere. And like that's not even like in a shady way. Like you you don't like me, Gus? No, it's just like you find what works for you. And if that's like you know you don't mesh with everybody, and that's okay. Yep. Like whatever. But I feel like my experience to answer your question um, has been really exciting. It's like discovering what my friend compared it to uh, Harry Potter. He's like, you've like always been a wizard your whole life, but now you get a letter to Hogwarts. Mm. <laughs> like I was like, oh, snaps. And now it's like, it's kind of like that. I'm like discovering all these things for the first time. Like my first time kissing a boy and holding hands. I was like this is what the straighties experience. <laughs> That's a slur for straight people. I, I love that. No, it's true. Uh, I, I just want you to know I'm very offended by that term. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's just like, it's like stuff like that, but also the community. It's so, and I think you get this too, like being black, especially in a space like this, you automatically have something with someone. Like you see somebody and you're like, you know what I mean? You're like, we're yeah. probably gonna, like, we they're probably good. They we know they're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that being queer in Utah where I'm like, mm someone has a little rainbow pin or like a non-binary pin and I'm automatically like, yeah, you know, you know what it is like, yeah. it comes in by me, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that kind of energy. So it's been cool. Like whether it's like going to like queer clubs and, and just being able to like let my hair down and dance however I want or go participate in this like Stonewall sports and like play sports with other queer people. It's just been like a really fun experience. And yes, there is still prejudice. I think we talked about this earlier, right? Mm. Where there are different groups of people will be prejudiced, right? Yeah. And Utah queer community is not exempt from that. But I've been, I'm having a good time. That's good. That's yeah. good. Now, I do want to ask, because uh, I was actually going to be like one of the next things I asked about <gasps> was about the prejudice in the queer community. Oh, man. Um, you know, because there's... There's there's the straighties in Utah, right? And then you got the the racism. <laughs> we right. Really, we really don't call we really don't call y'all the straighties. I, I just want to clarify. Okay. <laughs> we should come up with the the heady hats, the heteros. Or okay, I like that though, but I like that. Not the heady hats. I'm like okay, yeah, I like that. I like. That. I identify as heady hat. Yes. Right. It's kind of fun though. It's kind of iconic. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
what was my question? Yeah, so so like, how do you deal with with prejudice in the mm, queer community, yes. with racism in the queer community? How does that show itself? Is it mm. different from like, I uh, mean, regular racism? There is that. like, I mean, there is like a, a slew of different ways that people can be a little um, prejudiced or even exclusionary from like other people in the community, like in the queer community. Here, there's a lot of conversations these days about. Um, mask being masculine versus being perceived as feminine mm. and how men that come off more masculine are more sought after in the gay community mm. and in some you know in some circles where it's like more lauded and everyone wants to come off as more mask you know which is kind of interesting right it's all tied to like misogyny yes <laughs> it is to be perceived as feminine is weak and bad yes. right isn't that sick interesting. Um, i was talking patriarchy sorry side Please. note I, we were talking with, with me my roommate and my friend about this we were talking about like attraction and like what are you actually attracted to masculine or feminine because then i was like there are you know more masculine presenting women and like have you been attracted to that yes you have and why have you been attracted to that like was it because like we were like let's just be honest here let's talk about it like what about that attracted you and it's like have there been things about whatever and so it just it's interesting interesting and things, mm -hmm. you know the sociologist in me was like living for that conversation because it's really it. interesting to see like are you really attracted to just male female or is it masculine feminine anyway yeah. Like conversation for another time like how much is like shaped by our yes culture, by community. what yeah. you are social yeah. what men are socialized to believe is masculine mm -hmm. and what women are socialized to believe is feminine which changes like what you're attracted to and gender and all these things and again at the end of the day it all goes out to how it's fluid and whatnot but yeah. back you can to listen you. to that you can listen to that and be like well no, i'm just attracted to what i'm attracted to i like masculinity but like if you look at different cultures and geographic locations what is feminine and masculine changes yes like i was just telling yeah. someone about mm -hmm. like and that's part of the work i do is i do a lot of nonprofit consulting with equality utah oh where yes. I do trainings and mm -hmm. I, I love it and it's like part of my drive to like make the world a better place i have a bunch of weird side gigs but one of the things we talk about is gender expression how expectations that we have for men and women changes according to your location like an earring in the black community can be seen as something very masculine oh yes mm -hmm. but yeah. like here in utah not always the case seen as something very feminine mm. a kilt in scotland is seen as so masculine mm. but throw a skirt on and walk through salt lake here and people might have a different like experience with it mm -hmm. or even like in jamaican culture the man is the one that does most of the cooking mm. and like if you can't cook as a jamaican man then like you you are looked at in a different way interesting yeah, so i mean like that's that's like a big part of jamaican culture see um, you know from what i understand and yeah it's, it's things like that you know that we we got to go back to birds it's very fluid we got to go back to birds how they do it men got to do it all they got to put on a show they do all this they make the nest <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and like like women birds can just vibe <laughs> but yeah so essentially i i digress yeah I'm, let's I'm the king go of back tangents, so sorry right? no i'm sorry i love, I love tangents though uh, as you can tell mm -hmm. but uh it essentially has been interesting to see what dating has been like um in utah in general i remember a long time ago when i was dating women i was pretending to be into women <laughs> in the closet. And someone told me, I was like, I think I like you. And she was like, oh, I would never date a black guy. Mm. Right? Mm. I know I was like, whoa. I was like, I'm impressed you said it out loud. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. I was gonna say, at least you told me. That's yes. Most people would use something coded like urban. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Cultural uh, differences. Yes, but I do feel, <laughs> and that's the thing about issues with like prejudice is like, unless someone issues you a card, it's hard to be like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's hard to just know exactly what it is. But I think dating here, and I've 
and some of my f- people of color, my people of color, um, they've also had experiences with dating in the queer community where it's just, I mean, I think of like it's a homogenous community and there's a standard of beauty here and it seems very clear mm-hmm. how people interact that they, they love them some, some white dudes, you know, tall white dudes. And I am neither of those. <laughs> but I will say, though, like it, I, it hasn't it's not like I'm sitting at home and I'm like, oh, man, no one's going to like darn it. Like, I feel like if someone has that vibe like that's I don't want to be around that person anyways, you know, right. So like, hey, like filter yourself out. Let me filter my way out. Let's find you. You go hang out over there if that's your your energy. I don't know, but I have a lot of friends who are constantly trying to check in with themselves to see, be like, is this something I'm, a decision I'm making as a preference, or is this like rooted in some like part of racism that I'm not aware of? Which I think is cool. Yeah, I don't know how to change that per se, but I think it's got to start with trying to be aware at least, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Did I answer your question? Yes. Yeah, no, I did. didn't. <laughs> no, you did. I would say you did. I, well, I, I love all the tangents we've been going into. Yeah, the and I, of tangents. Well, and I love, not love, but I think it's interesting to see how there are, you know, differences, obviously, between dating a straight person, dating someone who's queer in Utah, but also as black people, that is still like a shared experience, no matter yeah. what our sexuality is, right? The fetishization like, of that it is all. just Right? Like, those are things that are present. And so it just, again, goes to show how mm. present anti-blackness is or just like racism overall and how deeply embedded it is into our society is that it even shows up amongst other people who are still marginalized. They still mm-hmm. experience that and deal with you know, working through their own biases and discrimination and you receiving that in a community that is like a double refuge for Mm -hmm. you almost. And I will say, I think it is very um, important to note that with my experiences, I feel like I have a huge point of privilege, especially here in Utah, where... um... (laughs) Sorry. I was laughing at that. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I, have a, I feel like I experienced a lot of privilege in Utah because of mm. Studio C. Like mm. I worked on the show. Mm. I garnered a lot of um, like a lot of fans. A lot of people like knew who I was, like mm. welcomed me in their home, were surprised when I came out. But they were like, oh, we know you. Like some people would come on my Instagram and be like, how dare you be gay? And then 15 people would like jump them in the comments. Like, mm. right. Mm-hmm. I've been pulled over before, which every time I get pulled over, I put on my voice recorder because I'm like. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. And I've had cops be like, yo, I love your work. Don't even worry about a ticket. And I'm like, listen, privilege is not bad all the time, right? Right. Yeah. But being unaware of it, is, it can be problematic. And yep. so my mm-hmm. experiences of being queer and black in Utah, not that I did Studio C the whole time, but it's different than like, I think, uh, like for sure, everyone's going to have a different experience depending on like, you know, who we are, our intersectionality. But yeah, I'm just saying like, it's, I don't think it's, you know, always the same. And I think I have a little bit of privilege of that. That's you. That is a good point. Are you going to say that? No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. Like, wanna, I, I want to call you out for your privilege. No, 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 no. Like I like that in the sense of, I think that's something that needs to be added to conversations more when we are having conversations about marginalization or like anything in that way that multiple things can be true at once. For example, like I am a black woman, yes, but I am also a light skinned black woman, right? Like my experience is very different than like my friends who are four or five shades darker than me, right? Like we are both black women, but I need to also acknowledge that in conversations in different when it comes to different situations and whatnot um, in different 
parts of discrimination and blackness and I think that that is something that we need to be okay with too and mm. I think that's something that I hope as someone who works in just in inclusion and all these things is that's something I want to incorporate more um just because like you can have these ways that you're marginalized but other ways that you're in privilege right like yeah I'm a black woman but I'm straight mm -hmm. right so like I have these ways in which I'm marginalized but I have other ways in which I have privilege that I need to leverage right and use and be aware of in my conversation because I feel like we've all encountered people who have some type of identity that makes them marginalized marginalized and then they don't recognize the privilege that they also have at the same time mm -hmm. and you feel you look at them kind of sideways because they speak as if that one thing or two things define their entire identity which they do in a lot of ways but it sometimes they're ignoring the other ways in which they have privilege and it, it makes it hard because they don't seem just like self-aware mm. of the ways in which their experience is still slightly different because of those privileges yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel like whenever you hear people say I'm not privileged. I I had to work growing up. I'm like, oh yeah, we don't know what privilege means in this context. Or we were like using yeah. different definitions or something. Because mm -hmm. um, it's I think and maybe y'all can. I would love to get your thoughts on this. My mindset with privilege is always, I don't think you should lose your privileges. I just think we want other people to have the same ones. Yeah. Like privilege isn't a bad thing. Well, I don't want you to be like I don't want you to lose whatever privilege you may or may not have. But I would love for everyone to have the same access to trust from the community mm. or you know what i confidence from like mm -hmm. i think that's what i when i think of privilege that's how i frame it like it's like it's good let's let's share the wealth right yeah kind of thing yeah mm -hmm. absolutely and yeah you, like you said privilege is a good thing it's not something that we hate what we hate is like the refusal to acknowledge it or mm -hmm. not being aware that you have it or using it um like weaponizing it against someone else you know right those are those are and that's why we talk about white privilege a lot because a lot of times that's used to the detriment of other people of color, right? So, I man, think experiences I've had at BYU where someone starts yelling at me, and then they start crying, Ooh. and oh. then all of a sudden, not the white tears. Not the, oh, the tears, man. Not the white tears, man. Until I, I can't with the white tears. I, I like pack sit up. down my friends and be like, "This is a model." I was once dating a guy, super great guy, uh, white dude, and I. Every conversation I have with a white person before I date them is like. I'm gonna need you to use your privilege for God. Like I'm gonna need you to use your white privilege for good. So if something happens to me, I'm gonna need you to back me up. Right. And if we can't do that, that's indicated for me. We shouldn't have this relationship. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, at all point, I'm like, listen, if there's conditions from, under this, from the jump, that's good. Yes. <laughs> uh, but one time, this this girl came online and she was like, "Wickedness never was happiness." Uh. You like she like roasted me in the comments, which I am always, I love a good roast because I like to roast back. I'll bring, I'll bring, a, I'll bring a roast too. Right. And I kind of like, I kind of like roasted her. And it wasn't even like a roast. I just like called her Clap out. Clap back. And then she like, in the messages was like, people are being mean to me. Like, I didn't mean to. And the my boyfriend at the time was like, hey, I think, you know, I think she's, I think you're being a little hard on her. And I was like... Let's talk about white tears. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this is what we're not going to do. Mm -hmm. We're not going to take someone who um, initiated a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And then once they start feeling some of the heat that they were putting out. Oh, yes. She came at me telling me how wrong my life was. I didn't even tell her how wrong her life was. I was just like, this is a weird way to think. Own your words. If people start coming for you, that's between you and how you feel. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um but I was like, you're not going to, I was like, we're not going to take this attacker who all of a sudden wants to become a victim and validate them because they're 
claiming victimhood. I was like, we, sorry. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do that. And I was very adamant about it. And he was like, damn, like, uh, that's something I never thought of. I'm seeing the situation, which mm-hmm. I appreciate yeah. that he did. But uh, yeah, that was very frustrating. I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, that, I, I know that was definitely frustrating. And I, but it's, it's good that you were able to have that conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And then also that he was oh. able to actually listen Mm-hmm. You know, at least to some extent. Yeah, he's right? a good. He's a good guy. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. He didn't want anyone to feel bad. He doesn't want people to be hurt, mm-hmm. like most people, right? Right, right. Uh, but in that situation, it's like at what expense? Like I once had, there was. Oof, I'm trying to be careful how I talk about this, but there was <laughs> a job I had that I might have referred <laughs> to already, um, and it was weird. Like people, I was treated so differently by this person who um, we worked with in this category. They were they no longer work for BYU TV or anything, but um, I was treated so differently by this person to the point where I was like, I don't know why, but I know that something's kind of off here. Anyways, one day I asked them a question and they just like, it wasn't even like, why are you doing this? I was like, oh, I'm gonna go run, grab something real quick. They freak out, they start screaming at me. And I was like, what is- What's the issue? I was like, what is going on? And, um, and I think they realized that they were just like, and I think they knew I was a scapegoat. They knew they could yell at me and it wouldn't be an issue. No mm. one would do anything about it. They mm. probably deserved it. Um, but the second people started being like, hey, you can't treat them like that, they started crying. Mm. And then the second they started crying, people were like, "Why? Did, what did you do to her? And I literally, mm. luckily, <laughs> it was one of those few occasions where I had someone that had been there the whole time and they were like, Stacy did nothing. This was completely deranged behavior anyways i think of experiences like that where white tears have been weaponized against me and it Mm. is so frustrating yeah Yeah. frustrating and it can be scary too yes because if there was not that person there to like let you let them know hey this is what then you would have been the one and it wasn't the first time that was done to me too and that was one of the few times that i had someone there though Mm. yeah so well i mean we think about historically that's why it's scary it's more than just oh you said this to me and now i'm being perceived for something I didn't do, but look at Emma Till, right? That's a example of like white tears, right? Like this, you're perceiving it this way and now you're upset and someone died because of it. And that happened. Mm-hmm. Mul- that's not the only time that happened, right? That has happened multiple times throughout history. And so that is why it is dangerous. And so to our listeners, I'm just saying you're a white person listening. Think about the ways. And that's why we talk about um, nice racism or white fragility because white us joking about white tears saying that that falls in that category of that fragility in the sense of like when you're finally having to recognize your role in something and being so like oh you're so uncomfortable by that that you kind of start backing away from it and like trying to push it back on the other person think mm. of the ways in which you if you're feeling that while what we're saying if, if that's what you're feeling right while what, what we're talking about maybe you need to look at how you're how you, the ways in which you are are not allowing yourself to be uncomfortable to truly mm. actually overcome the ways in which you are working through your biases or the ways in which discrimination shows up in your own life and subconsciously as well because that's a lot of it too we all get defensive when people are calling us out on things that we kind of know are true deep down mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of that comes too is that's defensiveness from white people not wanting to call themselves out almost um because like they think that it says something about their character. Like, you know, why fragility says in that book, it's not about your character. It's just, that's the reality of the world that we live in. And once we get past that and just recognize that is the the truth, that's how I feel. You know, I see that as me as being a straight person. Anytime I have anything that comes in where I'm like, 
feeling some type of way about anything dealing with the queer community, it's like, oh, this makes sense. Like, I'm not offended at myself. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I was raised in a heteronormative culture. No wonder this, or I didn't see this this way, or I thought it this way as I've, you know, worked through my own things. And I just hope that other people can start doing that as well and not get so pressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, too, it's like sometimes it's like, like I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know what? It's totally fine. And in my interactions with people, I'm like, it's totally fine to be defensive. Like that's a normal human reaction. Someone calls you out for something, whether it's like a significant other or mm. a friend, it's okay to get defensive. But like, what do you do with that information? Yes. Yeah. Do we get defensive and refuse to think about it? Do we like maybe get defensive and try to sit with, okay, why do they feel this way? Is there any reason behind this? Like, I think it's okay to be frustrated and to be like, and in my interactions, I'm like, it's okay. That's like normal. Yeah. We're not wired to be challenged and then be like, yay. You know, like, that's not like how humans are built, but yeah. like, what do you do with that information? Cause that for me is the bigger takeaway. And if you do get defensive, like, and say something, you need to fix it. You know, if you ah, shut up, you know what you're talking about apologize like apologize and be like yep. you did know what you're talking you know what i mean like it's just like feel like it feels but like take care of it oh. amen love that love that love that okay well to wrap it up one last question <laughs> for you yes and then we'll move on to our recommendations um if you could give advice to black kids coming into utah if you could give advice to queer people coming mm. into utah or already living here um, just people who who experience the same or similar intersections to yourself. What advice would you give them on how to survive this climate? Oof, that last part, how to survive this climate, because a lot of people don't, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, I think my biggest thing to people is your greatest strength is going to be your authenticity. Mm. And that can apply to your sexuality, your gender expression, your gender your race, your ethnic background, your culture, your preference, your beliefs, like your authenticity is going to be your greatest weapon. And when you um, fight your own, your sense of authenticity, like what's real for you, you are fighting yourself and you're going to be limiting yourself and what you can accomplish and do. And so be your authentic self. And if people have problems with that, it's personal. It's mm. not about you. That's their own issues. It's like easier said than done, right? Because we all want oh, belonging and stuff. But like if people have issues with that, that's between them and their therapist. Like you're moving on and growing. We're not going to let Jane Doe hold us back because she doesn't like the gays. I don't yes. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right. I love that. Greatest strength yeah. is your authenticity. Let's go, baby. That's a word. Yes. Cool. Recommendations? Recommendations. So we have this portion in every episode where... You can give a recommendation, and it can be anything. And when we Ooh. mean anything, we really mean anything. Like, like media or something like that? Movie, show, song, artist, food, activity. We have recommended all types of stuff in here. I mm -hmm. have recommended Body Wash twice. So, um, <laughs> yes, you can do whatever you want. Um, and I can go first this week if we want. So my recommendation for the week. I know last week I recommended food. I'm going to recommend food again. I made a charcuterie board yesterday. Ooh, she fancy. Yes, it actually was not that hard, and it wasn't crazy expensive, and it actually tasted good because I eating it and I liked it. I, I felt bad because I've talked so much shit about charcuterie boards <laughs> because in Utah they use them as real meals at events, and I have been let down. Nate knows this. Yes. He's been with me at events where they like, they want to give you a charcuterie board as a meal, and I'm like, mm -hmm. excuse me, 
How am I supposed to survive on this dried up apricot and almonds? Come on. Now, <laughs> right. it's a good side. We had other stuff that I ate with this charcuterie board, but um, I say make one. They're really cute and they're fun. And if, like, I'm not creative but i like to cook and so like food is like my kind of creativity mm. and so i think it was like a combination of me pushing myself and trying to make it look nice but also like making good food and combining good things and you can really make it whatever you want um mm. which is really nice and you can make it as big or as small as you want like i made mine for two people so i recommend Cute. trying to make a charcuterie board this summer at some point some point and making you know take you a little aesthetic photo at the park or something so <laughs> don't act like don't rec don't say you just made a charcuterie board for two and don't like, like I want the story. That sounds cute. Cute. Oh, I mean, <laughs> uh, uh oh, it was just for a, it was for a day with my with my boyfriend. I shot so. people for two. That's the that's some that's serious. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, but she um, got Yes, <laughs> made oh unto God. your recommendation. All right, <laughs> let's take it off Rachel because she over here blushing. Um, my recommendation for this week: Queen Charlotte. If y'all haven't watched you some Queen Charlotte Listen, on Netflix, I love that a man is recommending this on it right away. Is that the Bridgerton? Yes, like, it's, it's like spinoff. Spin it's better than Bridgerton, oh. in my opinion. It's about oh. I mean, like Bridge. I love Bridgerton. Don't yes, get me wrong, I, I love do Bridgerton. Too. But the I'm story of Queen for, Charlotte and her boo. Is I'm recording fire. this for my boyfriend. He's like refuses to watch Bridgerton or Listen, anything. Tell you from to come over here. And okay. I, we we can watch it together. Okay. We'll we'll, chill, we'll watch it together. Okay. We're, but, watching, um, we're watching Queen Charlotte. Is that what's happening? I'm yes. inviting myself. Yes, I'm come on. Like, let's do a watch on. party. We'll I'm right serious. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm should, inviting myself. I'll bring a charcuterie board. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Like, what? This girl's like made a charcuterie board. Yes. And I'm like, what a, I call that all the time now. Yes. <laughs> that's so funny. But no, yes, bring yeah. the. You, mm -hmm. That's what you're, you're gonna take my recommendation and Nate's and one by making the charcuterie board to the I watch love party. making charcuterie boards, by the way, and I do them a little different because I'm oh, like, I want it a heaping pile, like a. Mm. Interesting. Have you ever made like the rose out of lunch meat? <laughs> no. Well, I've done that. <laughs> that so then you're not that bad. No, that's not. I, maybe I'm making. Maybe I am making charcuterie boards and not charcuterie boards because that's fancy. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I've done that before. It's, you just take like a wine glass and then you just fold the meat over yes. it, like in layers. And then you turn it over, and it looks like a, like a flower. So I've done that before. You take, take the a meat wine and glass, crack the meat over in layers. Yes, I'm about to show you. Have to show me yeah. that because my brain is like not getting it. So maybe uh, maybe I'll make one here soon. We can yeah, all get bring a little, have a charcuterie board, and <laughs> <laughs> watch Queen Charlotte. Okay, my recommendation. Uh, I was telling you about this earlier before we started. Mm. Um, it's I'm gonna get canceled for this. I know, oh, it, but I'm gonna oh, say no. it anyways. Come on. It's Jordan Sparks' Red Sangria. Oh, my oh, okay. gosh. <laughs> the song has been out for a minute. I just discovered it. The internet, it was like her comeback song, and the internet came for her because they were like, listen, this sounds like an Old Navy commercial. <laughs> and people actually took the music video and Stop. put, like, Old Navy logos over it. And I like it. I yeah. like it. I was in my room learning the dance the other day. So right. check out Red Sangria. Okay. And if you don't like it, that's a personal problem <laughs> between you and your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What? Cool. I think that's all we got. I'm yeah. going to check out Red Sangria right after this. Yes. Um, <laughs> Don't yeah. judge me. Yes, that's it. Well, we appreciate y'all. Thanks for being on another episode of, or tuning in to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast, and we will catch y'all next week. Well done. Where is it?